Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our podcasts. This is Leo Anna Thomas from Six Feet from the Spotlight Mental Health in Film. And I'm Matt Longley of uh, Six Feet from the Spotlight again. Um, again, I think, yes. Always, um, always. We always start talking about the weather. It's very British. We always talk about the weather. How is it up there? Is it snowing yet? I see yet. It had snowed this morning and now it's cleared up. But, you know, it's Ashby de la Zouche. It's always sunny. So, um, yeah. yeah, even when it's snowing, it's sunny. Honest. It's nice here. <laughs> I can't it's go out nice. from a bike ride. too icy. So, uh, yeah, never mind. I'll do something oh. else. It's nice here. It's good. We've got somebody else with us today as well. We've got a lovely, lovely special guest, the CEO of the film and TV charity, Alex Pumphrey. Hello, lovely. How are you? Hello. I'm well, thank you. I'm well and juggling, as are many people at the moment, but you're basically well. Good. That's good to hear. Thank you for being with us. How's How's the weather where you are? You're in London, right? I'm in London. I'm ashamed to say I haven't been outside today, so... No, that's good. It's good to stay home. <laughs> I am. I am literally staying home. Um, it it looks grey and cold, so I will probably carry on staying at home as much as yeah. I possible. Yeah, I only stepped out today to go and collect Sainsbury's food and to have a COVID test on my doorstep. So I've had a swab down my throat and up my nostril just so I can get to work. So I've got to get tested twice so I can go back to sit. Wow. So there we go. Um, thank you for joining us. We are we're going to be just chatting through what the film and TV charity have been doing. So much great work to help, especially last year and the whole picture program moving ahead this year. Um, so it's kind of a a review from last year. How did it? How how has it all been? Bit of a bit of a bold, big question. But how's it all been going in your neck of the woods? <laughs> I mean, it's been amazing and exhausting in equal measure um i mean none of us anticipated a year like 2020 was and of course it's sort of dragging on into 2021 as well um and the impact on the industry was obviously just absolutely massive it was unlike anything the industry's experienced before and we knew really early on that the huge number of freelancers in the industry would, would you know, were really going to be devastated by what was happening with the closure of productions, um, you know, cancellation of festivals, closure of cinemas. And by the very end of March, we already knew that 93% of freelancers were, were out of work and that that was just going to have a really devastating impact for people working in the industry as, you know, as indeed it has done. And, so what I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of the team that we managed to mobilise so quickly to support people. And, you know, in all honesty, it, it, it started with a phone call with Netflix on a Sunday afternoon who had created this $100 million fund in the US to support people through COVID. And they wanted to be able to channel a uh, million pounds of that um, which grew over time, actually, but a million pounds of that into the UK. Um, and, you know, given our history of giving, you know, our long history of giving financial support to people in different sorts of circumstances, uh, we were the natural partner with them. And, you know, that then grew and grew over time. And at the end of last year, we figured that we'd been able to support around about nine, it's hard to get an exact handle on the figures, but around 9,000 people, which is actually one in 20 people in the industry in a number of different ways. And that's kind of incredible. And it, you know, hopefully 
you know, everyone will know someone who has benefited from that support. And it's only been possible because such a large number of organisations came forward to make some really phenomenal donations. We gave out 5.6 million of financial aid to individuals in the course of the last year. Wow. Um, you know, with, with huge donations from Amazon and Netflix and Sky, BBC, uh, and many others. So, um, yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, obviously now we're all kind of grappling with the what come, you know, <laughs> where, where are we and what comes next question. And, you know, really, I'd love to be able to answer the question of how can we prevent that kind of devastation from ever impacting people again? Um, but there aren't easy answers to that one. No. no. I mean, we're like a year down the line from the uh, Looking Glass survey. That was February. The release of those results was almost a year ago. Yeah. And... Um, those results were shocking and 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 I think uh, this time in March and April last year like the productions no one was able to work so that's a kind of different turn that we've taken now it seems like film and tv crew have become like essential workers because like the whole of the whole of the country if not the world has watched all the content and need to keep making more um yeah and that's an interesting point I mean maybe there is there has been a sort of shift in public perception about what it means to be working in this industry, which I think was, you know, for a long time has always been seen as a much more glamorous job than perhaps yeah. those, of, those of you all who, <laughs> who do those roles know that it is on a day-to-day basis. Um, and yeah, how vital and how difficult it can be. But you're right. I mean, COVID didn't hit, a, you know, a health in terms of the people and the individuals. It didn't hit an industry that was sort of, healthy it hit that was already actually suffering quite a lot as the mental health research had identified you know and then and then in um you know on the 25th of may last year with the murder of george floyd we know that there was added uh racial trauma that was experienced particularly by people of color working so this kind of accumulation of effects um and you know positive aspects to to the resurgence of Black Lives Matter, but also um, a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of resurfaced trauma that was triggered as well. So a really complex and difficult year for people to navigate um, yeah. in a whole lot of different ways, financially, yeah. emotionally, and in terms of their mental health um, and all of that. Yeah. We made it six days into 2021 before, uh, you know, the scenes on Capitol Hill in the last 48 hours. It's Six days. <laughs> I don't know if, I wonder how many people are still sticking to dry January. Um, my, part, uh, my partner's doing dry January and I told him he was on his own. So, um, yeah. <laughs> You're doing dry January, I, aren't you, Matt? I am, but I, I failed on New Year's Day. I had a glass <laughs> of wine with my meal and then I've been fine. So I've, I've managed, what, seven days. Um, which is, I, I did I did it last year. I think I did it last year. I think I managed it last year. And then, um, yeah, then then yeah. February was a bit of a blowout because that, that was the last time we went out anywhere, I think. Yeah. yeah. I'll hold myself accountable by sharing with you that I am attempting something called Red January. And Red stands for Run Every Day. And um, actually, really interestingly, was an initiative that came out of one of, our, um, one of my colleagues, Lucy Powell, um, who's one of the founders of that movement, Red January. Um, so I am resolved, I think to run in January which That's I have brilliant. done but then January yeah. is a very long month when you're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Does it well, does it say how far you have to run, or is it just it uh, just no, no? It's just to do some exercise. Um, yeah, I'm trying to make sure it's a decent distance, so I don't feel like I've really earned it. But. Yeah, I went for a run yesterday, and it was it was hard work, but just it's amazing. It's always like it's always hard to get started, but once the ball's rolling, once the feet are running, even though I was running uphill, I pushed myself to the end and was just. It feels good. It's good for their mental health. It is. It is I, good. I won't be running anywhere because I'm following, I'm following Lucy Talon under the surgeon's knife on the hip at some point in the next few months. So uh, oh. I, I don't know when yet, but uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's because because of cricket. Um, so much time playing cricket in the past. So uh, yeah, I never knew it was such a dangerous sport. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, normally it's stand around in the sun and then go for a beer. But uh, yeah, um, I mm. used to bowl, so. Um, Apparently, you put ten times your body weight on on your leg as you bowl, so um, that's why my hip's not quite where it should be. Shall we say? <laughs> yes. Never mind. We'll be there. Yeah, it yeah. is. Um, kind of looping back round to what we spoke about a moment ago about how this year will look and the fact that we're actually allowed to work this time. Like, and, well, almost a year ago, we, everything shut down. We couldn't. Yeah. Um, it's amazing how because the industry had no it didn't have a, a chance to say no or turn down how it had to change and evolve to keep working and therefore make it COVID safe. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's possible to have almost the same effect with mental health support in terms of the industry and all, and all those, all those statistics that came back from the looking glass survey, it's almost like that was such a huge public kind of sharing of information and relief it's a shame that there wasn't something that was kicked into place quickly as much as it has been on COVID. If does that make sense? Does yeah, sense? I think there's a really, you know, with COVID, I think the work that the British Film Commission and the broadcasters did to create COVID secure production protocols really very fast, and it was a massive process. And to to do that through, with consultation as well, which was really important, with consultation with people who've actually been enacting those protocols. I think it was phenomenal and all credit to them. And it's really interesting. I was reading yesterday that production has closed again in LA on the West yeah. Coast. COVID. So we are, you know, in the UK, we are operating, you know, we have found safe ways to operate this where, whereas one of the biggest entertainment market, the biggest entertainment market in the world is not. And, you know, I think that's, that, that's a really exciting position for the UK to be in. If we yeah. can create ourselves as, the best and safest, you know, physically and mentally and to take health in its holistic sense place for people to work. Um, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a really exciting competitive advantage for the UK to have in the global market. Um, and, you know, we know before March of last year, production was booming over here and there's been massive investment in production facilities by Netflix and by Sky and Amazon doing the same. So, I think it feels really important that we can establish ourselves as you know, genuinely a world leader in the way the way we work and working better and working in a way that is healthy and safe for people so that we can attract and, and retain the best, the best talent. Um, I think there's a bit, I mean, sort of, if you, I don't quite know if you were or not, Leo, but I mean, if you were casting a little bit of doubt on whether we can keep mental health and mental well-being in the picture through the current phase. You know, I, I do think, I know there's been, 
you know, most people say there's been an extra 15 to 20% added to production costs because of COVID. And sometimes that narrative gets a bit sort of, well, we, you know, we, we simply can't afford to do anything more now. Yeah. I think both know, I mean, I would say you can't afford not to look after people's mental health. Because it costs you more in both the short and the long run. And there's lots of evidence that shows return on investment in mental health, the work that was published by Deloitte almost exactly this time last year in January 2020 that showed a £5 return for every £1 invested in mental health, which is all the case that anyone ever needs. But I do, you know, there's there's been some really, um, you know, there have been some interesting observations, you know, that the industry was in in the emergency of COVID able to absorb those additional costs I'm not saying it was easy it wasn't but it's proof that it can and that is possible when you really want to and you really have to so wouldn't it be a great thing to be able to hang on to that kind of that that 15% COVID cost and think about how you could deploy that investment elsewhere into the industry to keep it healthy over the longer term even you know even post-COVID and that's you know that's an idea that's been raised before and I think is a really Really, you know, and I, I think it would be great for the whole of the value chain, and particularly those who are financing the industry, to think about what that investment means, because it has to kind of start with those financing production um, in order for it to get traction all the way down the value chain. Yeah, it's kind of a we we kind of say that as your budget tightens, you actually need to manage it better. So if you're managing your budget better, you ought to be managing your people, you need to manage your people better. So uh, the the thing is it uh, self-perpetuating that you should manage your people better because actually the, there's been a lot of short-termism, I suppose, in the industry. Um, and I did hear Sarah, you know, Sarah Puck gave a great talk at Focus a couple of weeks ago uh, about essentially we should be trying to professionalize the industry which will will help with everything with the health and safety side of things the mental health and the actual amount that you can deliver amount content and the the high level of content you can you can create for one pound um should improve hopefully and that's that's the theory it's putting it into practice that's tricky (laughs) and yeah 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 i agree and i think um i get a bit nervous when i hear too much of the we just need to get back to work narrative because of course we need to get back to work and we want people to be in work um and that is critically important but I think often what that kind of getting back to work narrative means is you know just reversing back to what we had before and not thinking more imaginatively about how we want to recast the way we work um in the future so the kind of that that drive, that kind of get back to work drive narrative, I think just should be kind of held at arm's length and have a kind of critical eye cast over it. Uh, I wanted to mention actually, because I didn't didn't name check, but it was um, the film producer, Elham Shakarifar, who I think, if my memory serves me correctly, and I will patch up to myself on this one, um, spoke at the London Film Festival about the potential for um, the, the 15, 20% COVID funding to be uh, to be reused, if you like, and, and repurposed for um, supporting mental health of, of film crews in the future, which uh, so I want to credit her with that idea. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I think Matt and I, we were speaking about that the other day, about once this is all Focused. done and COVID's gone, COVID supervisors could essentially become 
what we're creating, well-being facilitators, could just replace that role and prove that it still works and use that money to continue the care and, and to show that that care has worked in the sense of health and safety, moving into a kind of slightly different role, but have it running still. Yeah, so hopefully, along with it. I'm along optimistic. with a few of the other programs, yeah, along with a few of the other programs that, that obviously you're going through. So that's um, it. Kind of brings us neatly to the to the whole picture program, I suppose, as well, and where where, where that is. I know both Leo and I are involved in the some of the working groups in the next few weeks, but it was probably probably put back a little bit because of COVID, and you had a lot of work to do there, and you've, you've obviously had to expand the team as well in order to to deliver that so where where do you see the whole picture program in the going in the next year or so and are you hoping that it's not it doesn't get delayed further by covid i suppose as well is the, the other part of that no i don't think it will i mean it's it was only ever designed as a two year program so it's a pretty short sharp sweet intervention but intended to give way to a longer term strategy for improving mental health um and the thing that I think is really interesting and exciting about the whole picture programme, sometimes does make it a bit difficult to grasp, is it's it's not, for the most part, it's not directly tackling mental health. It's yeah. trying to tackle the underlying causes and contributing factors to poor mental health in the industry. So, you know, that leads it into areas like, are we giving people the appropriate line management training so they know how to properly support their their crews or um, are we giving people who've experienced bullying the appropriate sort of support that they might need to navigate those very difficult situations how can we stop poor behaviors um, and actually intervene at the prevention stage and think about the culture that you know this is really naughty stuff when you talk about the culture of the industry because it's such a you know, complex, rich, fluid sort of a thing that flows across not even different organisations, but different production teams that obviously themselves are ephemeral. They come and go, they set up and they get closed down. Um, and, you know, trying to get into those questions that, you know, there's really sticky questions about the culture of the industry. And what is it that you can just, you know, what are the things that you can tweak, you know, one or two notches on the dial? We're not going to revolutionise the way the industry works, but how can we have small effects with big impact is kind of what I'm really interested in with this program. Um, And I think, and I talk with the team a lot about the fact that that means really embedding the work within the industry, because for any of this to have any effect at all, it's really got to be quite deeply assimilated into the industry and the way it works. And that, I think really that's its biggest challenge. And that's a, you know, that's the thing that worries me most about the programme is how do we make, we could invent all sorts of lovely things, but if they sit in glass boxes, they don't do anything. They've got to be used um, and really kind of breathe all the way through the industry works. And I think that's the biggest and the most exciting challenge, but it's, no, so I think it's a really um, fascinating, but yeah, pretty challenging program of work to deliver. And it's, as I'm sure you know, you know, all these different elements of it are very much designed to work together. So they are different yeah. cogs that create this change. It's and it's about having that. Um, because our belief is that it's a number of these things that cause poor mental health in the industry. And so equally, you have to be able to address a number of things in 
um, I'm saying tandem, that's probably wrong, isn't it? Because tandem is two things, but in multiple ways, um, to, to try and resolve some of those issues that the industry faces. And that, I mean, that is a massive, yeah. <laughs> massive challenge. Um, so, you know, we want to enter into that with the right, you know, the right degree of realism and awareness and you know, perhaps just enough naivety to believe that we can um, have a really meaningful impact on those things as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few things have got to come together, isn't there? To, the, as you say, the, to address all those causes, which could be to do with bullying and harassment. It can be due to working hours, the way that that way that people work, um, diversity and inclusion, all of these things that come together. And then I suppose the accountability is one of the, one of the big ones as well. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's kind of, but it's a, uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't envy um, you in that, but obviously we're, we're here to help <laughs> try anyway. So thank you. And I should say thank you for the support that both of you have lent to the programs. It's massively appreciated. And, you know, certainly, it needs all the kind of allies and friends and advocates that it can get right across the industry. Um, and, you know, and we won't see changes overnight and we may, and we said this, we've said this from the outset, we may see mental health getting worse before we see it getting better because there's often a reporting effect as you begin to lift the lid on these issues and people speak up more, you hear more of these stories. So, you know, we're fully prepared for the fact that it may, it may look worse at least before, things do begin to change but that you have you know we we really do feel very strongly that you've got to get started and you can't delay that process of, of getting started um and and yeah and, and i and i think you know i hope that the aftermath of covid and that kind of natural reconfiguring of the industry that's now happening does provide this quite short window, I think, before things start to harden up again, back into the you know the bad old ways. Um, but it does provide this quite exciting short window opportunity for us to look really, you know, think really critically and strategically about how we work as an industry. It's definitely a great short window. I think that's opened up a lot of people's minds and ideas and attention to these situations that have been happening for decades. And it's finally a chance that people have stepped up and you're totally right the the more the more people share and open up with their stories and that's hard to do especially for the first time and we all know the amount of fear that's that's rumbling in the industry about speaking up and the fear of losing your job you're right yeah it's probably going to look a little bit worse before because once 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 one, one person opens up then two people will three people will a whole department and it just moves ahead like that um yeah, I mean, we saw that was, I think, what was really interesting about the summer was, and my my take on it is actually because people were out of work, ironically, that reduced the jeopardy for them to be able to speak up because they didn't have a job anyway. You know, normally your yeah. enforced silence is because you're on your lookout for, the next, for your next gig, but people didn't have work. Um, and so there was this kind of feeling that the gloves were off and you could you could speak much more freely. And I think you saw this in some of the response to Black Lives Matter, as well as, you know, people just talking about what it was like working within the industry. You know, you had people speaking really powerfully about what it was like to work in the industry and systemic racism within the industry in a way that just hadn't been seen before. Um, I think that was really important. And, you know, massive credit to people like Adil Amini, who has 
you know, generated so much. You know, he's spoken a lot about his personal experience. He's given a platform to other people to speak about their experiences. And I think that's really caught the attention of a number of people in, you know, particularly commissioning positions and positions of power in the industry to, you know, really kind of be often those experience, you know, if you are in a position of power, often those experiences are so many steps down the chain from you that you just don't really know. And I say that as someone who, who works, you know, and I worked at Channel 4 many years ago in the glass building on Horseferry Road. And I, I just think it's really hard for you to know what it's like, know the truth of what it's like, because um, you're very insulated from it, actually, and shielded from it. And so I think to to bring those groups of people together much more face-to-face for the first time, to have those stories being heard was really, really important and I think can um, catalyse some lasting change. Yeah, it's been like a leveller, hasn't it, regardless of your status, your job title, how much you work and how much money you earn. It's everyone's, everyone last year was just, that was it. Everything was cut off. Everything was zero. No one was working. So yeah, I think it's another great point. It gave everybody that chance to be in, uh, you know, experiencing the same thing and finally have their voice heard. Yeah. I mean, why, why wouldn't you, if you've had this sort of story bubbling under the surface for a long time about your experiences Mm. and you're suddenly, you know, you're feeling that little bit safer to be able to tell them either because other people are telling them or because, you know, the, the social environment is saying that it's permissible to tell them or because you simply, you know, you know you're not going to get any work anyway. And I think that's really, you know, we talk, we've begun talking quite a lot in the, um, sorry, I've got a visitor. Okay. <laughs> we have another guest on the podcast. <laughs> is how homeschooling mixes with work um what would you like you want a snack yes fine. have a snack <laughs> have a snack <laughs> i'm gonna have a snack too <laughs> after this we've begun particularly in the whole pitch program to talk more about these ideas of psychological safety which I, i'm sure are familiar to both of you but um you know i'm you know, I'm not a mental health expert, by the way, as I think is probably well known. Um, but I find these ideas about psychological safety really interesting because psychological safety is about, it's not just giving people, it's not just what they can do, it's what they will do. Yeah. And it's not sufficient to provide them with channels to speak up or channels to flag poor behaviour at work. You've actually got to make them feel safe enough to use those channels yeah. Um and I think that's what's really that's what's really important. Um and how and there is so little psychological safety in so many different areas and ways in which we work as an industry because of this project based nature of the work and because of, you know, which we hear time and time again, you know, you kind of you shut up and don't say anything because you're looking out for your next your next gig. Mm-hmm. Um, and informal structures and informal recruitment and all, and all of that stuff. And so I just, I, you know, I've become really interested in this idea about psychological safety and how fundamental that is going to be. So, you know, it's, it's we need to go beyond the, the commitments and the codes and the charters, which are all important, but it's, it's not, it's necessary, but not sufficient stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's good to set these things up and 
not be seen as just ticking a box, but you need to have people use these services. Otherwise, what's the point, like you said? They need to be there. And, you know, and the same absolutely applies to us in the work that we do. We need to make sure that not we're not just providing a service, providing a support line or a mental health community, but we're really making people feel enabled and empowered and supported to to use them in the way that will benefit them best. Yeah. In terms of the helpline, which is uh, 0800 054 0000, I always have to like double check because I'm so nervous I'm going to get that wrong. Um, In terms of that helpline, which is incredible, have you seen any, I'm assuming you have, but have you seen any increases with the numbers of people calling uh, that helpline ever since COVID's happened? Has it grown? Yes, yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Good. I remember you saying like a thousand times more. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, well, there was that first week after lockdown was announced in March of last year when we had as many calls in three days as we were used to getting in three months and it just kind of went off the charts. Um, and since then, so through the period of COVID, which we tracked through from beginning of March last year to um I think these these figures are through to actually they're only through to November so they will have increased since then I know that we've had over 6,000 calls to that support line for more than 4,000 people wow so that that need for and those needs will be different and varied and complex and some of them will be pure financial needs some of them will be um you know really complex emotional and mental health needs that need a lot of support and guidance and talking through. But, um, you know, I think what's brilliant about support line and what I want us to be able to do in the future actually is extend more of this into an online world. So that it's easy for, you know, not everyone wants to pick up the phone and make, um, make more of this, these services available digitally is that, um, I think that need for, holistic comprehensive support of the type you you know you don't get because you don't have an HR department when you're a freelancer and when you are actually much more vulnerable than people in employed positions because of how precarious work can be and because of all of those negative effects we've spoken about that occur within the industry um I think having that support there feels really vital um, and was you know and was absolutely proven to be through through COVID. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really interested now in how we can develop that in digital ways, continue to enhance it. I mean, it already gives access to a lot of practical advice. The say emotional, you know, you can get um, access to counselling and therapy, as well as financial grants. So it, it pretty much you know there are a lot of tools in that in that toolbox that we can use to help people. I suppose in the end you want to stop people having to use it, don't you? But that's not going to happen in the end, but <laughs> it'll still be there a while, but uh, yeah. yeah it's, I mean, that's actually a really interesting question because yeah, you know, you'd much rather no one had issues that they need to speak to you about. But I think lots of charities would have as their kind of mission that they want to do themselves out of business because they want to solve whatever problem it is that they're there to support. Um, I don't see that that's... A kind, you know, I don't think for us that really is the long-term goal. For as long as we have a predominantly freelance workforce, I mean, that's structural within the industry, and we don't want to change that. I mean, there are lots of, like, let's be clear, there are lots of benefits of yeah. being freelance. People choose to go into these roles. It's incredibly exciting to introduce to work, and people love it. 
Um, for as long as we have that structure, then I think there will be that need, the need for that support. Um, yeah. I don't think that will, will ever go away. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, and I've said the same thing about six feet from the spotlights. If I could switch it off, I would do, but I don't think I'm going to be able to. And, and in the end, you, you kind of want to you want to help people, and there's always going to be a need somewhere, isn't there? So it's yeah. There's all, I mean, we're we're so we're complex human beings. Just you know, we 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 bring our personal lives with us to work. There's I don't I don't, I've never liked that statement of you know leave your private life at the door when you come to work and freelance as you said Alex it comes with so much benefits as well but and it is an exciting industry and job and you can have months off at a time and travel if you you know you earn a lot of money in a short amount of time it's just fixing like you said earlier on it's those little little small adjustments that can have a bigger outcome of just a bigger impact of just adjusting to how the industry works um I think I think one of the things that concerns me quite often and it comes up quite often is is the accountability side of it and kind of if there was a HR department, it'd kind of be a process to formally make sure a perpetrator of bullying, for example, or harassment would be, uh, there would be a procedure for that and an escalation process. That's kind of, that's, that's the thing that doesn't exist really in the industry and the work we're doing and the work that you're doing is kind of acting as a preventative to try and help shift the industry over the next 10 years to try and change it. So there's no need for too many interventions. You know, there's the helplines are great, but it'd be great if there wasn't too many of them to mop up the blood of already the crimes that have taken place. So it's like, bear with me. I'm coming kind of to a point in a question, <laughs> but it just, that's what worries me about it. And I don't know how, how we get around that how we all put our heads together to get around if if somebody, a perpetrator is continuing to bully or continue to harass and that name comes up over and over again, what happens? You know, how, how, yeah, to me, it's like that person shouldn't be allowed to work anymore than, or, you know, or at least have some sort of procedure. Yeah. I think that's a question that bothers a lot of us. Um, and, there are some really, I think, invidious effects of that as well, which, I mean, you know, you and I know that there will be people who are regarded as being difficult to work for, but to have that intel, you have to be kind of on the inside of the industry. You have to be networked. You have to have the right kind of, you know, groups and channels around you to have the knowledge that, you know, person X or person Y is difficult to work with and this is what they're like and that I think is also really problematic when we think about the absolute imperative for improved diversity and inclusion within the industry because it sort of says you've got to be on the inside to not suffer the worst effects of those behaviours so what if you're not kind of networked in that when you don't have that intelligence and you don't you know and you sort of um, take a take a role with a particular producer director whoever it may be who everyone else knows is is difficult to work for but you you didn't know that because you were mm. effectively excluded and outside from the industry I think it's I think it's really problematic um it's structurally very hard to address because of the way in which the industry works um 
I think it, you know, there clearly is an appetite for taking action, at least in extreme cases. And there are individuals who've had their BAFTA membership taken away from them, for example. Um, but those are, you know, really only the very, the people at the very tip of an iceberg. Um, and those are only people who are, if you like, kind of caught and reprimanded once they've accumulated quite a, you know, a horrendous history of, um, yeah. of, 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 of abuse and poor working practices. So I think, I think there is, you know, I think there is renewed appetite and interest in looking at what the possible answers to that question might be. And I think there is interest in that, you know, and I've heard it myself from individuals at the kind of the highest levels of different parts of the industry. Um, but I don't think any of us should be naive about how difficult it is to create processes that are fair and reasonable and, you know, and obviously protect the rights of anyone who's accused of something who, because, you know, you do also have... Um, uh, you know, occasionally you have malicious accusations. So I think those are, I mean, it, it is one area that we are intending to look at through the whole picture programme, but we're, you know, we've said it's something that we will explore, not necessarily answer. Um, and it's, you know, and it's, and it's an area that BFI and BAFTA have worked on before as well, but it is, it is a very complex one to unravel. Yeah, it is. It's hard having having worked in a place where where there was a malicious accusation um, for, on one of the people that I was working worked work for me. It's not easy um, because you always have to assume various things, and then you have to go. But going through a process which would be difficult to do in this uh, in this instance because of the the way the, the way it's structured. Um, yeah. Um, Going back to this psychological safety thing, that's that's one of the things we've been we've been working on with the well-being facilitator side of things, and it's just trying to work out the I suppose the best way of getting that involved. And it, again, it's it's complex because there's more than it's a cultural thing and a and a and a, um, a way that people are trained, way that people are managed, all of this sort of thing. Um, the other. The other thing we, I've been trying to look at, and I don't know if this bears any relation, but the construction industry a few years ago, because the, because the industry is quite fragmented, isn't it? So a few years ago, the construction industry went went through the same process from a physical safety point of view, um, which was, to, and they came up, they consulted and came up with CDM regs. So that actually defines the um, the requirements of each of the of the different bodies uh, who were involved in a production to, and what they do. And do you think that might be something we could? we ought to be looking at further. I'm thinking of doing it anyway, but uh, would, is that something that would be of interest in some point? How, what sort of having something that looks more like a regulatory or a frame, a- framework? Yeah. 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 I think there's plenty of opportunity for best practice frameworks to be developed. Um, and, Again, I think there are a number of, I mean, there's some work that the, the, the Coalition for Change is doing, which is sort of drawing together broadcasters on the TV side to look at what a kind of, what common ground there would be around best practice in terms of um, recruitment is is one area, which is 
this notoriously closed and poorly poorly done um so i think there is i suppose there's i get a bit nervous at the moment about i mean the fact you know it's great that there's this sort of real bow wave of interest and enthusiasm but we've got we do also suffer from a bit of initiative itis as it's been termed to me <laughs> have too many what you don't want i think is too many things that are too short-lived popping up yeah. and then disappearing from view again that don't really stick and last that are all you know all very well intentioned and probably have really good stuff in them but you know we've got a thing over you know a framework over here and a set of guidelines over here and some protocols here and actually none of those things really gel together into a comprehensive unified approach they're just lots of different things and actually what you're doing then is you're adding complexity into a system that makes it less likely that any one of those things is going to be adopted and not more yeah and i think that is something we need to because you know and there's a lot of really good work there already but i think the job for all of us now is to sort of say okay you know you've got this piece here we've got this piece here you've got this piece over here how can you connect it all so actually if you are a producer you don't go you know oh my god i've got like 15 different yeah <laughs> of guidelines and i've got code working protocols and this is yeah. a nightmare and actually the mindset becomes a very um negative one of kind of like how can i get away with doing the bare minimum for any of these things because this is just unmanageable and really expensive and costly and time consuming and bureaucratic and then it does just get all labeled as sort of red tape and bureaucracy how can you turn it into something that's really smooth and streamlined and actually a real enabler for productions so something that people can go oh that really helps me because i can see now how i can manage my production in order to achieve these things it's going to make my production better that's what you want yeah. that's what you want people to be um so that's my sort of slight nervousness at the moment is we've got lots of sort of different bits of lego and we haven't and i, I speak i say us sort of collectively many organizations across the industry and <clears throat> as well i think we need to also take care that we don't add to that mix and yeah. um so i think the more that we can come together and try and create some sort of unification of these different bits of work that really make things simple for people on the other side. And uh, I think that will be, that would be my, my greatest wish. Collaboration. Yeah. Collaboration. Yeah. That's, 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 that's our greatest wish as well is to try and connect, connect what's already out there and try not to be too overwhelming with like, what, what did you say? Initiativeitis. <laughs> that's the next covid isn't it initiative itis <laughs> there's some really interesting and again I, I mean I, I don't know the deep theory on it but there's some really interesting stuff around theories of collective action which basically say that you're going to have a number of different parties who are all interested in the subject matter so you know take mental health within the industry and of course they're all going to come at it with their own perspectives and you're probably a bit of their own agendas um and that you know the things they like and things they don't like and that's, you know, that's okay. But if you can unify those different parties around a common objective, so if we can get agreement about what we're all trying to achieve and then make sure that we're supporting one another and not duplicating in yeah. 
achieve that. So you don't have to kind of don't. And I think that approach is quite interesting because it sort of frees you up a little bit from worrying about the fact that so-and-so is doing X and so-and-so is doing Y. That's that's all okay. What we just need to do is make sure we're all pointing at the same thing. Yeah. I mean <laughs> what that thing is that we're pointing at. Yeah. In terms of in terms of what we're doing, we're trying to connect with what's already out there already. And especially part of the role of wellbeing facilitator is the signpost. So we're signposting to all these uh, helplines and psychologists and psychotherapists that are already there. And, and um, that's going to be really useful. And also just to really try and work on the preventative side of it. Just, I kind of sound like a broken record a lot when it comes to that, but just really trying to minimize minimize all the interventions you know it's but it is there's so much out there to collaborate with and every i can see your point about it being an overwhelming thing for a production to receive like 20 different policies and just be like oh and not take any of them and you know we can't when we multitask we don't fully give ourselves to those actions it's just randomly doing it yeah it's having like one uniform umbrella which is kind of isn't it just like a hr kind of idea it's just one uniform set of standards but that's going to take ages to to get there and it will it will work you're smiling yeah <laughs> it will it, i know it will get there i know it's going to take a long time and it is just those small little tweaks that are going to make massive changes and they're already happening and it's also thanks to the great work that you guys are doing and that and that that looking glass survey was groundbreaking and and <laughs> there it is and and um important and just so grateful for the work that you guys are doing and grateful for the fact that Matt and I were brought into those forum meetings at the very beginning before that survey was released and keep doing amazing work. And yeah. so, it's slowly going to make big changes. Yeah. yeah. Any hopes for 2021? What, what do you hope you, the charity achieves in 2021? It's a little question. <laughs> hope so that my daughter goes back to school. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Love I get two. I have two questions here. Then, like, pers- like hopes for the film and TV charity, and also if you can give us one place you'd like to really go that you miss it once the world opens up again. What would that place be? Start the film and TV charity first. Um. Well, my hope. I mean, what I what I want us to be able to do this year really is to capitalise on the good work that we did last year because I think we. We, we absolutely concretely proved the need and value of the charity being there, but in quite extraordinary circumstances. Mm. So the question becomes one of, okay, we understand how necessary that the charity's support of individuals in the industry is. Um, how do we turn that into a sustainable model for the longer term? So how do we make that the support that people will need all the time and probably forever. And how do we have a conversation with the industry? You know, as I, as I mentioned, we had huge volume of donations last year, which was which was phenomenal. But we we need those donations sort of day in day out. Yeah. And opportunities to, to continue providing that support. So that's you know that's a conversation that I I genuinely want to have with the industry about how can we add most value to you and how can we perform that function that you can't you, you just can't perform yourselves because of the freelance nature of the industry and what does all that look like and then how do we deliver that in you know really dynamic and transformative and 
easy to access ways to individuals, which I think, you know, will have to be really digital first, really integrated into people's daily lives um, and, and easy to access. And so that, I, you know, I think that's, those are the questions we're asking ourselves at the charity at the moment. Um, what was the question for me personally? Yeah. Oh, uh, about, um, it was asked to me once actually, I think it was actually part of the working group icebreakers actually with Valeria about saying um, when the world opens up again, name like the one place you or, or maybe two places that you'll go visit that you haven't been able to because of lockdowns and. Um, so one's a bit of an emotional one. My, my, um, my parents live in uh, deepest, darkest Suffolk and my mum's become quite unwell over the course of the last year and I've barely seen her. So going, seeing my parents and giving my mum and my dad a hug will be a really big thing um, that I'm sure many people share. And then my other thing, I last week, I and this may yet prove to be very foolish, I booked a holiday in Turkey at Easter in the full knowledge that we may not end up going. Uh, I had to do that sort of psychological deal with myself of you do realise that you're probably not going. Um, but it was such a fantastic deal. And just I'm at the moment, I'm sort of clinging on to the idea that we might be able to be on a beach at Easter. That sounds great. Setting myself up for a fall, but <laughs> that sounds great. You've got to have hope. You've got to have yeah. hope and do these things, and that's what and insurance is for. We'll, we'll find something. You know, we'll, we'll figure something else out. But sitting um, yeah. yeah, in a in a very dark, grey January in London, that felt like a little. Um, that's my own little personal beacon of light. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry to hear about your mum, and I hope that everything. I hope she gains strength and gets gets well. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to get in one very small place. I can't wait to go back to the Royal Festival Hall. I love that place and just go and sit on the South Bank. It's been closed all year. They still have the March 2020 advertising up outside. Oh. And um, and go to California, see friends, travel and get some yeah. sunshine. <laughs> cool. Yeah. No, I think it's about, you, you know, you sort of, you don't quite realise all those things you do. Um and I'm trying, when I go for my runs, I'm trying not to go quite as far afield as I might do. But um, during the first lockdown, I, you know, I, when I, I ran down into the centre of the town because I live not all that far away. And you don't realise how much you, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure I really miss Oxford Street, but you know what I mean? Like being in the centre of the city yeah. in a way that you haven't been for a long time just felt sort of quite extraordinary, actually, and quite emotional in a yeah. You know, yeah. standing at the corner of Oxford Circus getting emotional was not not something I'd experienced before. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Right, well, we, we're up to 50 minutes, so we better say thank you very much. And um, thank you, Alex, for coming on uh, genuinely. And um, please yeah. keep up the, keep up the great work with the charity and the, the team there are fantastic. We've uh, really enjoyed working with them. So um, long, long may it continue and hopefully we yeah. can we could all help make a change over the over the next year or two um, and help you to do it. So thank you. Your ongoing support from both of you, as I say, and thanks for the shout out to the team. They are phenomenal and they've done an outstanding job over the last year. Um, very they proud. are phenomenal. Very proud. You should be. You're, you're phenomenal as well. And thank you for introducing me to the Red January. I went for a run yesterday and I'm going to run today, so I might continue that. 
late joiner. Good. There you go. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll have to go for wed January, which is a walk every day. There you go. See, instead of some. <laughs> there you go. There we Thank go. you so much, Alex. You take care of yourself and um, speak soon. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.